Hey, George Cedarquist here, host of Opera Box Score. All right, I know you want to get to the podcast, so I'm going to keep this short. Opera Box Score needs your donation to retain its title as America's talk radio show about opera. You can give on our website, operaboxscore.com slash donate. When you throw even 10 bucks our way, it helps us promote the show to more listeners. Just 20 bucks helps cover our website costs. Chip in 50 bucks and we can pay to wax Tobias's back. But for real, please consider a donation of any amount to help us continue to bring you our hot takes on everything opera-related. Operaboxscore.com slash donate. Enjoy the podcast. Live from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score. Uh, Let's get ready to rumble! Hey, wherever you are... However you're listening, welcome to America's Talk radio show about opera, period. I'm your host, George Cedarquist, joined this week by creative consultant Oliver Camacho with co-hosts Tobias Wright and Matt Cummings. We are live on WNUR 89.3 FM Evanston, Chicago, 847-846-WNUR is our number in studio. Call us live on the air, 847 847- Eight six six nine six eight seven. All right, tonight our fantasy fachball segment returns. Tobias and Cummings each pick a tenor to battle it out in an excerpt from Guno's Faust. But first, we take a closer look at the recent season announcement from San Francisco and Los Angeles operas. And Oliver plays Monday evening quarterback by reviewing the recent Met in HD version of Puccini's Tosca. Plus, it's the two-minute drill. You get all your opera headlines from the past week and our hot takes on them. Man, the show is a huge bumper-filled event. we got a great crew in the house as well. Oliver Camacho. Hello. And Tobias Wright. Hello. And Matt Cummings. <laughs> Hello. Wow, three tenors. <laughs> dangerous. Who's and, was the best? And just one brown. <laughs> very, very dangerous setup here. Hey, which is less relevant, the NFL Pro Bowl or the NHL All-Star Game? It's a trick question. They're not relevant at all. <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to say because one of them doesn't exist. <laughs> no, they both exist. Okay. Nobody watches All-Star Sports anymore. And it's kind of sad because I'm mean, growing up, like, that was the big thing, like, Major League Baseball All-Star Game. But, George, they both, the NHL All-Star Game and the and the Pro Bowl for the NFL were on at the same time yesterday. And collectively, okay. like, 13 people watched it. It's unbelievable, like, how few people watch the Pro Bowl. Yeah. Like, I love hockey, but I don't watch the NHL All-Star Game either. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't know. It's an exhibition. I, I want the playoffs. Playoffs? <laughs> <laughs> it's, I was forced to watch the Australian Open. You should watch the Australian Open. It was miserable for the Americans. Like, the one American that advanced was a racist, uh, a noted racist. His name is Tennis, of all things. His name is Tennis Sandgren. No, and it's, no he, it's not. It is. <laughs> I'm, not yeah. no, I'm not even kidding you. I'm not even kidding you. It's true. Um, and he made it to, I think, like, the quarterfinals, and nobody had ever heard of him before, including me. And so people started to, like, do some research on him and just looked at his Twitter feed, and he, like, shared, you know, like... Uh, What's his name? That terrible guy. Doug, Donald Trump? No, Jones. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that guy, that, that talk show radio, Doug Jones or Don? No. Oh, oh, Alex, 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 Alex Jones. Jones. Yeah. Oh, no. He, like, shared, he, like, the, he's like a uh, noted conspiracy pizza gate. Per, exactly. I mean, it was terrible. And, and so, yeah. this guy's name is. And Serena Williams came out of like her pregnancy, like to, you know, her motherhood to, to throw shade on him. It was awesome. Oh, like, geez. she read him. It was great. Huh. Roger Federer now has won 20. 10- he wants. He has won twenty Grand Slams. He right. has surpassed the male record. That's the equivalent of ten percent of all Grand Slams ever won from like nineteen sixty eight onwards. And we're not talking about a Grand Slam from Denny's. Mm. Well, that we're, does sound really good, though. Yes. I'm just that kidding. So congratulations really to Roger Federer, who yeah. won in five sets in the final, and he's uh, 36 years old. It makes me feel like I still got a shot at life here. <laughs> and, and, oh, isn't uh, it crazy that we talk about athletes at 36, and you're like, yeah. oh, God, it's almost over for them, yeah. and then put them out to pasture? Last and summer at the Olympics, I realized how many of yeah. them were younger than me, and it was yeah. impressive. Yeah. I've, well, I've been realizing that all the NBA stuff. players are younger than me, and I'm like, what have I done? Hey, man, singers and, are athletes. And Caroline Wozniacki, who won her first Grand slam and she's a very pretty girl and she's very scrap not scrappy but she's got a great game she's she loves to like chase down ball she's a great runner she's a hustler but she's been number one on and off for so many years and this is the her first actual grand slam win so congratulations to her she's pretty 
All right, let's talk some opera. Life is hard when you're pretty. She used to date Roy McElroy. Chalk Talk on Opera Box School. Hey, uh, we got cough buttons in the studio, gentlemen. Use them. Let me see. I pressed the wrong mic. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I've been (laughs) sick this week, too. Hey, San Francisco Opera and L.A. Opera both announced their 2018-2019 seasons. This past few weeks, we're just getting to them now. I have said on this show over and over again how L.A. Opera just does everything right. Hmm. Really? I've uh, yes. We've only been around for like less than three years, so I don't. The, well, and but but I've been following them longer than than three years. Okay. So and when you say you've always said, you mean like even before this radio show, like you would tell your friends and like, before my voice say, changed. Yeah, yeah okay. exactly. <laughs> okay. And <laughs> I just, like, <laughs> you, I I think part of it is like you don't expect a lot out of the words L.A. and opera put together, hmm. and yet when you look at the sorts of artists that they're hiring. The sorts of repertoire that they're doing here. Here's their rundown for 1819. Uh, Verdi, Don Carlo, Philip Glass, Satya Graha, Humperdinck, Hansel, and Gretel. That's around Christmas time. And then into 2019, uh, Clemency di Tito by Mozart. They're calling it the Clemency of Titus, which that makes it just sound boring. That's um, the English translation. I, I understand that. I do speak English, but okay. <laughs> I just, I think it's weird for it to say Titus. I don't know. And then uh, Manuel Penella, El Gato Montes, the Wildcat. We'll talk about that more in a second. Uh, Verdi, La Traviata. And then three much smaller pieces in their second stage pace. Uh, Joby Talbot, Vampire, Ellen Reed and Roxy Perkins, Prism, and David Lang, The Loser. I guess I already said my piece, you know, about clumsy of uh, Titus, how I think they should just advertise it. Advertise but I thought they were doing as... everything right. Is it one, what it's... Make a, make <laughs> Here's what they're doing right, is that, is that they're doing uh, Philip Glass, Satyagraha. And they're doing David Lang and Bampier and yes, Prism. Exactly. And honestly, Don Carlo doesn't get done that much in the States either because it's just such a mammoth undertaking. It's yeah. so long and requires the top singer in every voice type, which they... I mean, I'd say they got like four out of five going for them in this cast. Yes. I think this um, Satyagraha is the one <laughs> from English National Opera. That's um, the uh, Fella McDermott is the director with Julian Crouch, designed by those gentlemen as well with projections by 59 productions. I, I would love to see that. Uh, the Hansel and Gretel production is not the Richard Jones version, which is... Totally kooky and wild. This version that they're doing is directed by Doug Fitch, but the production photos look interesting. There's like huge puppets on stage, like life-size puppet creatures. And it's not by Julie Taymor? And it's not by Julie Taymor, no. But what caught my eye about that Hansel and Gretel is that Susan Graham is singing The Witch, which I wouldn't have necessarily expected, but I would really be interested to hear because she seems like someone who can have a good time on stage and... The with, witch is with like Sasha really... Cook is Hansel. Wow. Yeah. I I mean I'm conflicted about this because like I know Susan Graham has a lot of fans, um, and I like some of the things that she does. I loved her Didon uh, in Les Troyens, but um, her voice to me works in certain registers and at certain volumes. The moment she starts pressing or the moment she tries to sing too low or too high. The voice is it loses its its best qualities. I so, I was surprised that she was willing to sing the witch too, but yeah. I would definitely be interested in seeing it. Yeah, but she's gigantic, so that helps. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> tall. I mean, she's she's a tall, very she's, she's tall. She's like six she's tall. like two of us, yeah. you know. So El Gato Montes is a zarzuela, um, which is coming from Madrid, featuring Placido Domingo. And the one thing I will say about L.A. is like. Placido Domingo has so many fingers and so many pies. It's like, dude, can't you just let someone else have a turn? Well, I, I, but he sells I mean, tickets. This yeah. one makes more sense to me. Yeah. Don't, I don't think he should be singing Rodrigo and Don Carlo. I've never been convinced by Was him. Was that your singer that they missed? I can't deny or confirm. <laughs> we're, we're sort of like glazing over uh, some of these, glazing over, bra- brazing over, brushing over. We could braise it. <laughs> we're, bra- we're totally brazing over some of these casts. We're like rushing through these. But just to go a circle back to Don Carlo, uh, we have Ramon Vargas singing, Ramon Vargas singing the title role with Thank Ana you. Maria Martinez. Uh, Ana Smir- Smirnova, a singer I haven't heard of before. She's and, the and- one who did it in the, the la- when the Met did it, like 
six or seven years ago with Nizi Sagan conducting. Okay. And I just listened to that recently, actually. It's pretty good. Okay. And then Plaza Domingo is singing Rodrigo. I mean, and Fulonetto is singing King Philip, um, which is to be expected. I mean, he's he's that's a good role for him, but yeah. still he's getting kind of old. Um, but Domingo, you know, at first it was just Simon Bocanegra, then it was uh, Hernani, and then it's like, okay, I'll do a Rigoletto. Germont. Okay, like, no, yeah, it's yeah. like... That was it's like it's the stretch. it's a lot of baritone stuff happening there. Yeah, but and, if you look at their art direction for their website or for their graphic design, um, they have these painted, you know, cast images or production images or like posters. They're kind of cartoons, and um, Gandhi is the you know the cover image for the Satyagraha production, and Susan Graham sort of fits into the Hansel and Gretel production. Because she's too tall. Yes. It's, every, it's just everything's um, cutting off in her head. <laughs> but Placido Domingo shows up twice uh, as like the lead of Don Carlo, which is not, Rodrigo is not the lead of right. Don Carlo. Yeah. But that does sell tickets. And then he's holding a gun uh, for Elgato Monte. So they're appealing to. But I'll say that you know, the, those are pretty different casting because at Rodrigo and Don Carlo, I mean, it's very important that he's Don Carlo's peer. That's the whole yeah. point of their relationship in that opera. Whereas Sarsuela, that's in his blood. That's what he did before he was before he was a breakout. Yeah. And, yeah. and I think that he definitely has something to offer. Yeah. So that, are you advocating for for him as Rodrigo? I'm not sure. No. Okay. I'm not a fan of that. No, okay. I, th- I think we're saying, look, you got to make some space for some other people yeah. here, pal. And, and look, we understand that you sell tickets and that's why you're on there. But there's a lot of great singers out there. There's a lot of great conductors out there. It's just it's it's his work coast to coast that rubs me the wrong way. That he's so involved in Washington National Opera, he's so involved in LA, got all this European stuff going on, got the um Operalia competition yeah. going on as well. I but just, I mean I mean I I don't fault him for that. I think that he does sell tickets and all of these companies are looking to like attach their Trained to somebody who will bring in the audiences, you know. Attach it to something new, though, dude. But his, don't attach it to an old locomotive. But I think his development work is definitely admirable, and it's that's part of the reason that LA is in such a position to put on such strong <laughs> and daring seasons is because they have Domingo. They have Domingo's name to help carry the company. I think it's but, Opera Box Score on WNUR eighty nine point three FM. San Francisco Opera's season is wait, also wait, out. Wait, 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 George, wait, 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 wait. I, I do want to say, I one of the L.A. opera things that I, sorry, to get, we're not moving on to San Francisco yet, um, that we didn't really talk about is the loser, the David Lang. I actually think one of the reasons that L.A. opera has experienced some of the success and growth that they have is because they've been willing to take risk in a smaller scale. Mm. And that's, I mean, we should applaud yeah. Domingo for that. The other thing, too, about Domingo that I will say is that he is a great artist, and I don't think that... I really do think when his instrument is no longer viable, he will have the integrity to walk away. And I think as an artist, though, he still feels like that's his purpose. Don't yeah. you think there's something to be said about he that? He was born to sing. I mean, like yeah. he's right. an amazing singer. And yeah. he's, he's a great, yeah, he's a great artist. He's still a great performer. But we're just talking about there are other baritones out there that could, you know. Yeah. Some was, choices make more sense than others. Yeah. But sure. I just want to say kudos to LA Opera for having really great casting choices that really uh, underscore um, like the need to diversify what's on stage. Um, Sean Panikar starring in um, Satyagraha as Gandhi uh, in The Clemency of Titus. <laughs> Russell Thomas, African-American tenor in the title role with uh, our former guest, our recent guest, uh, Janai Brugger as Servilia in that show. Mm-hmm. And uh, I have to just call out not diverse necessarily, but beautiful. Uh, Charles Castronovo uh, singing Alfredo in the Traviata production, which I would, I've heard before, and it's great. Oh God, I'm like he's so amazing. I would, I that is like the ticket for me to go hear that guy sing. You know, that's a fair point. And you know, L.A. is one of the most diverse cities in the nation. And how fantastic is it that they can reflect that diversity to some degree? On yeah. its stages. So, Castanova's yeah. Italian. That's diverse. <laughs> hey, <laughs> hey, it's a diverse. Yeah, it's a Castanova. Hey, I pick it at tomatoes. If we move north in the you may states, You may move on now, George. Thank you very much, gentlemen. <laughs> San Francisco Opera has also announced a lineup including Cavalleria Rusticana with Pagliacci, Roberto Devereux, Tosca, Strauss's Arabella, It's a Wonderful Life, Carmen... 
Orlando and Ruzalka. I love that they're doing Arabella. That is not done. A I mean, lot that is their their, their season is very conservative relative to or compared to L.A. And so Arabella is like their risky choice, and so is their Donizetti piece. But it's still Bel Canto, and it has Sandra Radvanovsky in it, and she is already proven in this role uh, from the HD production from the Met, where you know where she did the Three Queens all in the same year. So um, yeah, they're not really taking that big of a risk with the Roberto Devereaux. Um, yeah, this is super conservative, but I will say, like, interesting, the double bill, Cav Pag, is directed by Jose Cura, not I, starring yeah. Jose Cura, which I, I guess I've, I've sort of forgotten about him as a, you know, as a singer, and I, he's moved on to directing. He was before my time. Yeah, <laughs> but when I was when I was your age, he was hot. Like he was like the hmm. you know good looking, you know, square jawed, you know, sexy tenor that everybody wanted to like get in with and i'll say or at least i did um i'll say that he is an amazing actor you should all look up his um cavalry aria mamma Quelvino generoso look it up on youtube there's a really great live video of him singing it and it's like he's so sulky and so like innig and then he just gradually lets out like the emotion little by little as the music climaxes it's phenomenal I performance think, so. i think i read that he's setting the double bill in Argentina. Nice. Which is... There's your diversity. Yeah. Yeah. The production, you mean? I yes. mean, it's a revival production. Uh, maybe I made that up, but so I really thought I read that somewhere. May have, may have made that up. You're projecting your Argentinian fantasy onto... There we go. Yeah. There we I just go. really love Evita. What can I say? The, <laughs> yeah. the Carmen so, production, I think, is a, is a revival. Well, so they have well. like a summer season? I'm confused about this. The, they kind of break their season up into two blocks. Okay. So and they do a they do a, a handful of them in the fall and winter and then the rest of them in, over the summer. Okay, so their their big new production is the It's a Wonderful Life. Is this a premiere? It's a West Coast. It's a West premiere. Coast premiere. Jake yeah, Bingham. it was done in Texas, I believe. Do we know anything about that? Houston, uh, Indiana University just did it this past year. I have a friend who was in it singing the Angel Clara, mm-hmm. and I heard a little a clip of her, and I I was interested. I'm always interested in Jake Hagee's music, but yeah. I don't really know what. To expect, honestly, I don't. I've never even seen that movie. So what? Neither have I. I know, right, guys? Neither it's a great. I, yeah. I it's know. a George. Have I've, you seen? No, no, I haven't seen it. Hold on. Are we going to watch alone it right in this? Now? <laughs> <laughs> wow, Toby, for the first time, you're ahead of the curve. Oh god, <laughs> the curve from the 30s. <laughs> the curve. From, yes. No, that was like a. That was a right family Christmas tradition. Was we would watch "It's a Wonderful Life." You know, just this just reminded me that um, "Dead Man Walking" just premiered in Spain and like mm-hmm. Madrid or Barcelona. I forget, but it's been getting a lot of great reviews. Like it's the first time the Spanish audience has seen uh, "Dead Man Walking" with Michael Mays. That's interesting. There you go, yeah. Michael Mays just yeah. making a career. Out of the- yeah, exactly. but it's a great show. Yeah, I love it. I'm so yeah, I, I actually didn't realize that it hadn't been premiered in Europe. Yet. I would be curious. No, I think it's a Spanish premiere to oh, okay. hear yeah. what that was how non-Americans reacted to that story because it's yeah. so related to our culture and justice system specifically. Yeah. Right. So in the summer, their second half of their season, they're doing a Carmen, which is no big deal, except that it will be the, I believe it's the role debut for uh, Janae Bridges as Carmen, which is very exciting. I think she's, I'm not sure if she's absolutely ready for it, but that's where her voice is going eventually. She's and still, she's still very young. And someone else's role debut, maybe. And the role debut of Matthew Polanzani as Don Jose. Wow. Hopefully, it's not the version where they kill him in the end. We don't want to see that. <laughs> and the gorgeous. You know, I've been reading more about yeah. that. Yeah. Maybe they were right to do that. That's a whole different discussion. <laughs> but okay. Uh, Kyle Kettleson, who's amazing that's as, uh, as Camillo. <laughs> Oliver just told me to shut up. And, no, no, and Anita Hardig. It's a great cast. Oh, for, I love Anita Hardig. Yeah. 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 Again, a lot of these productions in San Francisco are revivals. So, I, I mean, to me, that's just not terribly attractive. You know, I. Sasha Cook and David Daniels headline the Orlando by Handel production. Are, are they revivals f- to San Francisco, or are they are any many? No, I, th- I think they they're what they call new to new to San SF. Francisco mm-hmm. productions. I, yeah, I, I I don't sort of buy that logic. Uh, hey, boys, you ready to move on to uh, Monday Evening Quarterback? Well, Thank you for asking. We didn't finish <laughs> talking about the cast, but I guess people can look it up themselves. Uh, Jamie Barton is going to be in the Rizalka as Jeshi Baba. She's amazing. And in the Roberto Devra. 
Oh, yeah, exactly. And Sasha Cook, after singing in Hansel and Gretel, goes over to San Francisco to sing. Uh, she's singing Orlando, the, the title role. And uh, also in that production is Heidi Stober and Christian Van Horn, one of the Ryan Opera Center alumni, making good use of that. Uh, hey, if you go see any of the shows, let us know what you think. You can tweet us at Opera Box Score. <laughs> Pass or fail. Here's Monday evening quarterback. Ah, yes, indeed. Oliver Matt just Camacho. used the cough button. Yeah, did you hear it? Him cough? No. No, I did not hear Good, him Good, because I used the cough button. <laughs> Give yourself a pat on the back, I Cummings. Will. Great. Oliver Camacho, Man About Town, seeing all the shows. Well, let's start with a show that, that two of us saw. Um, so after this... Not together. Yeah, oh, I know. Uh, the beleaguered uh, Tosca production. Um, Where every single person was replaced. Yeah, it finally uh, it finally happened. So um, the HD production of Tosca was um, on Saturday. Yeah, a new production. New production, yes, uh, the David the David McVicker, mm-hmm. um, and uh, Isabel Leonard hosted the HD broadcast, she did. and she was stunningly beautiful. She, and she's so charming. She's really one of the better hosts, I think. Yeah. Sometimes they come off as so uncomfortable. Yeah. And let me just start off by to me, what was the most like remarkable part of the opera was the interview with Selka Lucic. <laughs> so, so I think it was after the first act. Um, yeah. So she has to interview, you know, the various singers as they're coming off stage, stuff like that. She tried so hard and to he, get him to say anything he interesting. He was the worst interview guest of all time. Really? Like, he just, like, gave one-word answers <laughs> to every question. <laughs> and she just, like, had the keys. So I was like, okay, great. Well, I guess this interview's over now. Things like, oh, what do you do when you play when you play a villain? Oh, I just sing. Yeah, I think all of us are bad at some in some way. Yeah. Oh, well, how do you sing Verdi differently than Puccini? I don't. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's all. And then um, in the second intermission, um, the she was previewing or she was cutting to the um, eighteen nineteen season or the rest of the the seventeen eighteen season. And but she was standing in a rehearsal room. And she was clearly standing in a rehearsal room because there were like some other singers. Yeah. Like, and they were like frozen. I was like, what is going on? Why are they there? <laughs> Cut to the end of that clip. And back to the rehearsal room, and it's Angela Mead that's about to sing Bel Rajo yeah. uh, as a preview of Semiramide. Somehow, they managed to catch the rehearsal just as she was singing Bel Rajo. What amazing timing. It's almost <laughs> as though they planned it. Yes. <laughs> and Angela Mead had amazing hair. It was a great hair day for her. And she sang uh, the fast part of Bel Rajo, and she sang the high E without any preparation. I'm sure she prepared it, but I mean, like she did a high E without a portamento, just like just yeah. launched right into it, and it was f- amazing. It was pretty so. great. Then she gave the second most interview, of the <laughs> d- awkward interview, where Isabel Leonard just didn't really know what to do. But yeah. getting back to what was on yeah. stage, no, it was like, can you sing? Co- what is coloratura? <laughs> like it was like it was a weird interview. Okay, so the opera. One of the intermission features was actually fantastic. It was the interview with uh, John, Mc, John Mc, McFarlane. McFarlane. Yeah, the production designer. That was fascinating. Where yeah. they, they showed us real images of the Castel de Sant'Angelo or whatever. It's and been, yeah. the Sant'Andrea de la Valle. All yeah. three, because all three acts of Tosca are set in real Roman buildings. Yeah. And the there was a lot of uproar with the Luc Mondi production because it was just set against a, bl- a blank brick wall. Yeah. How amazing. Oh, God, I wish I could have seen that. But the, the Luke Bondi? Or? Yes. The Luke Did you Bondi. not watch any of the that, I mean that was a no, very man, I, real, realism is overrated. I don't need to I don't need to see this new Tosca because why would I see something that's real? <laughs> I didn't actually hate the Luke Bondi production as much as other people did, but the audiences hated it and the reviews were not really happy about it Dude, either. Dude, I like to piss people off. Yeah, clearly. But this one was very it was really literal and they in that he recreated these these spaces pretty accurately. He changed some of the perspectives in order to get a good dramatic vantage point and and frame the action in the way that he wanted it to. Uh, and the sets were absolutely stunning. I will say it was yeah. it was a conservative production in some of the best ways that that you you want in an opera like Tosca, where it's so framed by history. Maybe not the most imaginative concept for it, but. 
I I was pretty blown away by the sets. I would love to see them in the house. I would love to see them with actual light. So the yes. HD productions are notorious for having really bad lighting. And I've asked people who've actually been in the house. I said, it doesn't look like that in the house. Like, you can actually see the sets. But in every production that has kind of low lighting or more natural, naturalistic lighting, it always seems like they're in the dark. Yeah. And it's really frustrating because you spend all this time learning about the set design and you don't get to see it, you know? Mm-hmm. So we have three singers to talk about. Sonia Nancheva, uh, Vittorio Gagola, and Zalko Lucic. Let's just say that Zalko Lucic is like very journeyman, like workman. He gets it done, yeah, but he it's gets nothing done. special. Yeah, you don't feel moved. You're not like excited. And it's like, okay, there's not really a top there. And he really doesn't seem to be that interested in it either. That's yeah. my my feeling when I'm in the house and yeah. in the HD is that he's just going through the motions and singing with a decent voice, but not a lot. I never feel like he really has anything to say. Yeah. Sonia Yoncheva, her voice is completely lined up top to bottom, but it's lined up with one color. Uh, I feel like this role is too early for her. Uh, the high notes were, I don't want to say frayed, but they were always risky. Uh, Especially toward the end, I'm with you. I yeah. I really liked flashes of her performance. Yeah. I I could feel like it was still incubating a little bit. Yeah. Like it was, uh, especially the because f- it got better as it went on. Yeah. The first this, act, the, she didn't quite know what to do with her body. Her yeah. and her movements weren't really that convincing. But then in Act Two, yeah, I was, Act Two was great. For I her. was yeah. shocked at how different she was just in the different costume and with. The more compelling dramatic part, yeah. piece of the story, and probably the part that they spent the most time on. Yeah, uh, but I the, was gonna say the exact, exact same thing. The first act was like she was not engaged; like she was just like singing. You she know? was trying to figure. Out, I felt I could feel her trying to figure out how to make it work. Yeah. And sometimes you could almost see it working, but it was yeah. in the second act. It was like someone clicked on the light switch, and she figured out what she was doing. Yeah, on stage. And Vittorio Gagolo, bless his heart, he just loves to be on stage. He loves the audience. He loves singing. He just, like, really communicates, like, the joy of having a career. And the voice is bright. The voice is still very young and, and fresh-sounding. And he for was... Now. Yeah, he was really stretching himself in this. And I don't think it's a great role for him, but he still performed the heck out of it, and the audience loved it. So. Even, even though I really enjoy the color of his voice and i think that his energy is laudable i just find him exhausting yeah it's so it's all about him and not really about giving giving a performance to the audience and i feel very cut i'm very aware that he's acting with big faces and air quotes around acting and it just doesn't it doesn't do it for me well it communicates in the house because i've seen him and i've seen him live and like yeah you really feel like he is generous you know but an hd it's like over the top yeah (laughs) But, you know, God bless them. Nice rundown, gentlemen. I'll pass. A quick, but, uh, do I have time for a little bit, just a, one more quick review of something? Go for it. So I was uh, able to attend the new Philharmonic production of La Traviata at the College of DuPage, um, which is a, um, the, I think it's called the Opera Theater of DuPage. I forget what the company yeah, is actually, actually called. Yeah. And they've been running for years, and this is my first show. And my main point of interest was to hear baritone Corey Kreider sing the role of uh, Germont. Uh, but um, I have to say that this theater, this venue, the Mac, Mac they call it the Mac, the Mackinanich Center, you know, in Glen Ellen, uh, Illinois, which is a northern suburb, northwestern suburb, uh, or just a western suburb. Um, this is, to me, I'm starting to realize, is a little bit of a better model for doing opera. At first, when I got there, I was a little bit put off by how relaxed the audience was. They were really, really relaxed. And they brought their drinks into the house and they were like humming along to like the uh, orchestral prelude and sometimes singing along if they recognized a <laughs> tune like Libiamo. I was like, I heard people like audibly like humming and stuff like that. I was like, what is going on here? You know? I have heard that at the lyric, just by the way. Yeah. The woman behind me when I saw Lohengrin was humming the bridal chorus as if <laughs> she was the only one who recognized yeah. it. I don't know. <laughs> So at first I was a little bit like, what is this place, you know? But then I just was like, you know, they're having a good time. You well, know? that's what opera is for. Yeah, they're having a good time. Why am I being such a stuffy old man? You know, like, let them enjoy it. Like, they don't want to drive all the way to the city, and they feel very relaxed in this atmosphere. And so, th- good, you know? Uh, the production was directed by Harry Silverstein, who also has a job at uh, DePaul University uh, directing opera. And I have to say that it did feel like a little bit of a college opera, but the costumes were amazing. The set design was so confusing to me. They had beautiful set pieces, but no backdrop. So instead of using an actual backdrop, they had a projection of like various like um, you know uh, rooms, it, exactly, <laughs> and like home. impressionist era paintings. And the paintings changed 
depending on what the aria was, what the music was. So we are sort of like feeding us what we should be feeling, you know, mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. when Violetta goes into Sempre Libra, they show a picture of a ballerina, for example, which was really, really distracting and unnecessary. But then they remove the backdrop or the set, whatever you call it, the projection for the final act, the, where she's just alone in her bed mm. with Anina, which was actually very effective, the, the absence of that thing. Um, was there a bed? There was a bit, yeah. Okay, she was yeah. Uh, The Soprano was Catherine Weber. Uh, Alfredo was sung by Scott Ramsey, who was our guest recently. Once again, Corey Kreider uh, as Germont. And um, the uh, guy who sings uh, La Cena Pronta, mm-hmm. that one line. La Cena yeah. Pronta. That was Corey Kreider's son, Cade. It was great. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> was, he's, that's like, really he's like 13 years old or something Starting like that. Young. So. Anyway, so congratulations That's to the of opera of DuPage. <laughs> I should figure out the name of your company, uh, the New Philharmonic, because they did really give their audience a great experience. And like the singers come out in their costumes right as the curtain goes down and greet you in the hall and they give you cookies. Oh, I used to love that when <laughs> so, I went to children's theater. Yeah, so that the audience gets to say congratulations. Yeah. They really get to enjoy, you know, finish the experience. They close and they'll just like get to the parking lot and go. Yeah. Oh, plus, they have a parking lot, which I think really helps. Like the parking <laughs> lot was full, but like people can drive themselves to the opera and drive themselves home and not valet their car, you know? That's great. Guno's Faust is not an opera that I particularly like. Tobias and Cummings love it because its title character gets to sing this aria. That's up next in Fantasy Fockball, only on Opera Box Score and WNUR-FM Evanston, Chicago. Who's on your team? Time for Fantasy Fockball. And it's only on Opera Box Score. Yeah. Thanks, Norm. Appreciate that oh, intro. That's what you're listening to. Opera Box Score, WNUR 89.3 FM. I'm here with Oliver Camacho. So uh, we were just talking while we were listening to Norm speak about um, the Faust production that's coming to Chicago shortly. And uh, it's my understanding that a beautiful tenor who I'm a huge fan of, Michael Brandenburg, will be covering the role of Faust. And uh, this is public now, so I feel like we can talk about it. Michael Brandenburg just announced his retirement from singing, and he's like 20-whatever. He's a couple years older than I am. But just, I mean, a gorgeous instrument, a great guy, fun to work with. One of my favorite voices I've ever heard in my life. I'm not even kidding you. So I'm I'm blown away with this. And, like, to each his own, I would love to ask him what, what led to this decision, you know. We'll have him on the show. Okay. So anyway, um, we are going to talk a little about Faust uh, for the next, like, 15 or so minutes. Um, let us talk about the aria Salut du Mer, which is the cavatina for Faust, uh, which is really the most recognizable moment probably in the opera besides like the Jewel song and like Mephistopheles And arias. if you're a mezzo, yeah. ah, yeah. Yeah. aria. <laughs> yeah. um, so Salut is a cavatina. It has beautiful, you know, French, you know, recitation. And then it has a super recognizable melody. And then it finishes with a high C. The tenor, it's placed in the opera in the perfect moment because, like, he basically has all of Act Two off. I mean, he has to sing some things in it, but you know, his big sing—he's fresh coming in. Yeah, exactly. Act One is a big sing because it's a long scene with him and Mephistopheles, uh, where he transforms into the younger version of himself, and then Act Two is sort of like choral ensemble singing, and then he comes in after Cybele's aria and Act Three to sing this cavatina. So you really are well set up to to sing it. So let's mm-hmm. let's hear what who's going to start. Who what singer do we have here? You're up first. So we're going to start with Nikolai Geta. Okay, um, good choice. And I've always loved Geta. I you guys know me, and if you've been a listener to the show, you know that I love the old tenors. I love the way that they they didn't really make a big deal out of their singing. They just sang. Um, and so when I this particular recording, I love this aria. Um, and I, actually, it's a difficult aria to perform because you're not moving. He's looking up at her window. He's looking up the window of Marguerite. And so you have to have intention, but you also have to be excited. There has to be some a, a weird sense of innocence almost because that's what you're talking about with why you love her. Um, and it's a long aria, too. Mm-hmm that doesn't really necessarily do a lot, but what it does when it is challenging, it's very challenging. So I like what Geta does. We're just going to hear the beginning here, just the opening. Um, and it kind of just sets, I don't know, this is nothing great happens here. I think for either one of our tenors, it's just introduces you to what's going to, what the sound is of the aria. So, 
Okay, great. I mean, that is a super obvious and classic choice to choose for Faust. I mean, he sang the role like forever. Yes. And he is considered to be a stylist, like par none. And his French is typically generally amazing. And like when you're studying to be a singer, most people say if you want to learn how to pronounce French, look That's, at what Geta did. That you know? was one of the reasons that I wanted yeah. to choose him for this particular you can di- role. You can yeah. take dictation off that right. French. But yeah. I will say, just on hearing this with fresh ears, I have not, not listened to these clips till just till just now. Uh, I notice he's doing so much with rubato, like a lot, yes. and it's hard to find like the pulse in the way. Well, he's especially doing this in song. the bon- if you Oliver has the music here, um, and right before he ends that phrase, yeah. yeah, it's it's dragging forever, and you're like, are we ever gonna yeah. get to the end of this phrase? And there's something about French music that has to have that elan, that stretchiness, you know. And but it does, I do feel like you need to give back so what you're, you're taking. You're, so I'm taking. You're, points off you're just for, points for low off. sense of pulse but let's hear okay. who's your who's your singer you'd so, like to is kind of the gold standard in, in my opinion for this aria too and i wanted to come up with a modern singer who uh could maybe stand up to that and i came across a, a studio recording so that's a little bit of a bonus but it's matthew polanzani who i can't find evidence that he's ever sung the whole role but i think he should yeah he will right isn't for, he do- oh he hasn't done it yet i don't think so okay Go ahead. So one thing that I really love about that recording is that it feels like he's actually singing a duet with the first violinist yeah. in that middle section there. When you have more rhythmic integrity, it's easier to hear the other parts that are supposed to be playing. Like the other violinist was like so confused, like, how do I do this? You know, but um, this was a studio recording. So the balance is definitely, you know, uh, engineered. Perfect. Um, and right. it is perfect. But, you know, I have to say that uh, Polanzani's tone is way more youthful here and less you know, horny, you know, and there is something about Faust who he's like, he's driven by lust in yes. certain ways, you know, Geta sounds a little bit more lusty, you know, mm-hmm. and Polanzani sounds a bit more naive and like just really it sounded, bl- blissful, you know. Yeah, actually. 
I didn't mind that, but yeah. I do agree with yeah. characterization. Yeah. I can't take oh. points away. This is your let's argument. let's go on. Let's let's hear the next the next clip. Are you uh, who's going first here? I'm I'm pulling Zani's first. Okay. And then we're box. back into the music. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Upper box score WNUR 89.3 FM playing fantasy fachball here, Tobias Wright and Matt Cummings both advocating for their own individual singer, Oliver Camacho. Judging, this is George Cedarquist. Take it away. What's the riposte that Nikolai Geda has? Well, that was Matthew Ponzani singing just then. Uh, and I'll just say that, you know, Matthew Ponzani is a stylist, and I said that already. Uh, and it feels like he's giving this a very Mozartian approach. Uh, he's not putting too much weight into the middle of his voice, uh, which is something that Geta could do we'll probably here in a moment. I would, I would, I have the feeling that when this was recorded, it was like in the late 90s or something like that, or the early aughts. And uh, Polanzani's voice definitely has filled out since then. But I imagine he would have been covered uh, in some of that middle of the staff stuff, you know. Uh, but he's singing so elegantly and he's phrasing so cleanly. It's very, very pure interpretation of this aria, which is lovely. It, it really does lend itself to the mood of this aria, but it does feel like it's missing an urgency. Let's hear what Nicola Guetta has to say. <laughs> Okay, so um, as you can hear, Geta, he's on stage. This is like a live performance, yeah. so yes. he's into it. And you do hear in this, you know, I mean, the, the conductor's helping him along, obviously, but there is definitely urgency and there's a little bit more, you know, just tone in the middle of the staff. And like this French repertoire is really hard because there's a lot of closed vowels and mm -hmm. sometimes you have to like sing in the middle of your voice on a closed vowel and it's just hard to like pound out sound, you know, but, but Geta... You know, has, has such Every a great technique. Every vowel is so resonant for him. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Everything buzzes. You know, so let's hear the conclusion. Uh, yeah. uh, we'll start with Geta. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Think and it start. skips okay. and to the end of the recap. Yeah. For the, yeah. Okay. For we get little... to the good stuff. And let's, and and so let's right... run these two clips together, George. Oh, <laughs> 
that's a hard choice for me. I'm gonna say. Those I mean, the, I mean, what Matthew Ponzani just did there was effing incredible. Yeah. And we know that he can do it. I mean, like we've heard him on stage, like in Pearl Fishers, do crazy stuff like that. And it, he makes it sound so easy. It's a thing. It's like it's so like his it's, it's so deliberate. What he it's wants really to do is really well communicated. You know, for him to date crescendo like that. So they both sang the C so differently. They yeah. sang Who Sedavina, and those are all E flats. Yeah. La présence. And if you listen to Geta sing it. He's in the mask on La Presa because he knows he's not going to try to decrescendo. Yeah. And so when he gets, it's a fully closed mask sound when he sings the C. And that's why it's just hilarious because they, yeah. And Polizzani knows he's going to decrescendo. So it's actually really interesting. If you listen to the phrase prior, he sings it all wide open. And there are, it's not nearly as close because he wants to keep that space to decrescendo. And it makes for a really beautiful, beautiful, beautiful moment. Um so I, yeah. I to these me, are it two depends different, on com- yeah, completely totally different, different approaches. Trans- yeah. And if you can do the decoration mm. on the high C by all means, I mean, I have to like give it to Geta just because we know that he sang this role and that he did it on stage. And what he did on that recording was what the audience heard. Yeah, we don't know yet what Polentani's files is going to be like. And I know that Polentani, I mean, it's he's one of our favorite art- artists, you know, and he is going to be the next amazing Faust when he does take mm-hmm. on that role. But for now. Geta maintains his crown. It, can we talk about how we chose who chose who? Thirty seconds. Go. Okay, Matt and I. I don't for the, for the listeners. We're very good friends. Uh, and when we were talking about who we we're going to choose for this uh, fuck ball, we both were going to choose Geta. Toby yeah. basically got dibs first. Yeah. <laughs> so finding someone who can go up against Geta in this Ario so was this, white. This but was challenging. But I'll say that that's a brilliant choice because Polanzani really is He's Geta. The new Geta. Yeah, exactly. He's taken the mantle. You know. An opera premiered last week that it was about a condiment. Find out which one in the two-minute drill. That's next on America's talk radio show about opera, only on WNUR-FM Evanston, Chicago. Opera class. Sports radio crass. This is Opera Box Score. This just in. The two-minute drill. Time now for everything you need to know from the past week in opera land in less than two minutes. French countertenor Philippe Jarouski has opened a new institute, the Académie Musicale Philippe Jarouski, which provides free weekly music lessons to 23 children from working class or immigrant backgrounds. At last night's Gramophone Awards, the best opera recording went to a version of Berg's Wozzeck, conducted by Hans Goff with the Houston Symphony, Houston Grand Opera Children's Chorus and the Shepherd School of Music at Rice University. A new musical performance opened last week in New Orleans as the city celebrates 300 years. The piece was a lost opera from 1894 that sings the praises of Tabasco sauce. Justin Tucker is more than just the most accurate kicker in NFL history. The Baltimore Ravens player showed off his opera skills by singing Ave Maria and was the winner of Most Valuable Performer in NFL Talent Show that was on CBS. The off-Broadway premiere of the Olivier award-winning musical comedy Jerry Springer the Opera starts, uh, well, started on January 23rd with Terrence Mann as Jerry Springer. And on this day, in January 29th, the premiere of Mozart's Idomeneo in Munich in 1781. That's your two-minute drill. And we are back on Opera Box Score. George Cedarquist with Oliver Camacho, Tobias Wright, Matt Cummings. A good week for opera and for opera news. Matt, Philippe Jarouski. So th- this is a really exciting story for me because I think that part of the problem that we're having with classical music audiences and performances is that there's just such a high like initiation costs to get in there, to learn enough about it, that it makes sense to have experience with it, to just sort of live with it. And he is, he and all the people who are helping out with this project are donating time and really trying to make music accessible to people who wouldn't have a chance to bear bear those costs otherwise. And it's clearly not going to solve all the problems, but he is with like it, it's an improvement and it is something that is going to be beneficial for these children's for these children regardless of what happens the to link them. to our the article is on our website operaboxscore.com when you read the article 
like I did, if you are not moved to tears, you have a heart of stone. I found this article very difficult to read emotionally because these children need this kind of connection. And I mean, what can what can you say about this guy doing such great work? It's it's truly truly impressive. Well, I'll just say that there's a, a larger conversation uh, that we're going to have hopefully soon. Uh, there was an article in Opera Wire um, from a couple weeks ago. Uh, it was a opinion article by, oh, God, this guy's name is hard, uh, Santosh Venkatraman, uh, who I just met yesterday, and his article is called Opera's Diversity Problem and How to Fix It. And I do think that this is one of the you know, initiatives we all need to undertake uh, to help diversify classical music. Let's just give experiences to people who, you know, w- wouldn't be able to access otherwise. And that's how we're going to build it from the ground up, you know, mm-hmm. like people uh, caring about classical music. And I think there's there's some racism when people assume that it just people of different cultures won't relate to Western classical music. And that's that's a bunch of bull hockey. I mean, look at what they're doing in Venezuela, you know, yeah. with the Sistema program. You know, you have thousands of kids now who know what Mahler is, you know, and are excited to play it, you know. And with Jaruski's program here, it's the same thing, you know. Uh, so I, I totally applaud this effort. And everybody knows I'm a big fan of Jaruski as an artist, but now he's doing like this, we'll call it humanitarian or whatever outreach work. Uh, God, God bless him for for this. Mm-hmm. The opera about Tabasco sauce that's being done in New Orleans right now. Look, when I have the conversation about opera, I often feel like I'm just I'm talking to myself or I'm talking to everybody else in the biz. When this article came out on NPR, literally half a dozen people were texting me and were like, "Hey, did you hear that thing on NPR about the Tabasco opera? Hey, did you hear that thing? Why?" I don't get why NPR picked this up and why everybody in my circle who are like liberal granola-eating, Birkenstock-wearing liberals who listen to NPR, why they all hopped on their phones and were all texting me about this thing. Well, it's kind of an interesting story behind the opera in that New Orleans, I didn't realize until I read this little piece that New Orleans has one of the oldest opera scenes in America. What, and is that, that, what does that mean exactly? Well, it, <laughs> they're talking about the. I don't think of New Orleans as an opera town. I mean, they have an opera company, but they're not. I mean, they're not one of the big companies like Houston, New York, Washington, D.C., uh, but they've been around for a long time. And this opera was written in the late 1800s, but has been locked in a box over a copyright dispute. That's <laughs> that's pretty stranger than fiction stuff going okay, on. Okay, okay, fair enough. So, but it's it's almost everything around the piece rather than the piece itself. Maybe yeah. that's what's kind of rubbing me the wrong way on this. Or maybe that's just I had strep throat when I heard about it. Spicy food just sounded yeah. uncomfortable to yeah, you. Yeah, that's probably it. It's probably it. So the Grammys were yesterday, and um, you know the classical Grammys are relegated to like the web stream. You don't even they don't even make it to the and they the, put it in a tent. It's like yeah. not really. <laughs> but uh, there are some winners from yesterday in the classical realm. Bruno Mars. Uh, oh wait, sorry. Yeah. He won so that one too. Barbara Hannigan, uh, the it girl of classical music, she her solo album of Berg, Berio, and Gershwin of all things. <laughs> Uh, Sounds about right. Yeah, beat out Joyce DiDonato and Philippe Jaruski and Nicholas Pan. Uh, the opera shame. recording uh, of the year is the Berg Wozzeck, uh, which went up against the Berg Lulu by the Met. Uh, the Pearl Fishers also, oh, it's a John Andrea Nozeda with uh, with Met cast, uh, Diana Damrau and Marius Kuechen and Matthew Polanzani. Yeah, it beat out uh, the Ottone recording of Handel by Il Pomodoro, conducted by George Petru, which is a great recording, by the way, and Rimsky Korskop Golden Cockerel. Once again, the Berg Wozzeck on the Naxos label wins. And um, on a local note, um, The Crossing. Yeah, Northwestern's uh, own Donald Nally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, won for best choral performance for uh, the fifth century in, by a composer named Gavin Bryars. And just on a quick side note, uh, female composer Jennifer Higdon uh, picked up two Grammys, uh, one for a companion of her, of her works, uh, Viola and Oboe Concerto, and also for uh, Best Contemporary Classical Composition of the Viola Concerto. And that's going to be part of my uh, Good Call, Bad Call after we wrap up this segment. They do give out an extraordinary number of Grammys. Did you ever think, Oliver, that you'd be saying that two Berg operas were going head-to-head for best Grammy CD? (laughs) 
That's, you, that that's sort the of wrong stuff person. gives you night sweats, right? You no. doesn't. Yeah. Hey, Bruno Mars represents. He's like Filipino, isn't he? Kendrick like, Lamar, Black, Black man. Loving him Black too. Did you see the Kendrick Lamar performance from last night? Anybody? No, dude. I no, hate I the Grammys. I don't watch the Grammys. You oh. hate everything. What do you like, George? You need to watch this Kendrick Lamar He's not the performance. Only one. It was the lowest. It's six minutes of just he. A lot of truth. Word. <laughs> it's the lowest viewership in quite a while, they were saying today. They could have used me. Yeah, maybe. Maybe I, Opera Bostor should have been guess. invited for our Grammy. Hey, yeah. Tobias Wright, ju- Justin, Justin Tucker. Won the NFL talent show. You know, it's interesting because we say, I mean, like, he sang Ave Maria. He has a voice degree from the University of Texas at Austin, which is actually a pretty yeah, decent music USC, school. Yeah. Uh, they it's have, in Denton, isn't it? It's in Austin. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's the University of North Texas. Oh, Denton okay. is in, uh, that's North Texas, that's, UNT. That's the town. No, but UT Austin has a great York. program, great opera program. There's a great faculty there, David Small's baritone songs all over. But um, it's interesting. You listen to this recording. Well, first, if you're in the NFL, you already have plenty of talent, talent yeah. right? So it's kind of fun to see these guys branch out a little bit. Um, but he's saying Ave Maria, and I have to say, that's pretty good. He He's sounds pretty good, but Ave Maria is not opera, everybody. Well, right. Yeah, so I don't want to hop on the high horse too much. It's based on a Walter Scott poem, just yeah. like half of the bel canto operas. He sang it so beautifully. I, it's fine. I, but honestly, what impressed me the most is that his intonation's quite good. Hmm. It's maybe a little bit too compressed of a yeah. larynx for my liking. Yeah, well, he's lifts heavyweights. But he's a kicker, right? He's a kicker. Yeah. He is amazing. Well, he can kick many times. So exactly. Footballs. That's funny, yeah. Oliver. Or that's funny, Tobias. Because when I talked to Justin about you kicking fifty-yard field goals, he was like, "Yeah, you know, his legs a little compressed, and sometimes <laughs> it doesn't <have> distance." <laughs> Good call, bad call on Opera Box Score. You did it. You did a pass punt kick competition, right, Tobias? I won the. Punt pass kick. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. Don't I still sell have, him short. I still have the trophy, man. Oh my goodness! All right, uh, Cummings, you got a good call, bad call. What do you got? Yeah, one of my favorite people of all time, Lawrence Brownlee. I'm right is, here. Oh, what? <laughs> uh, is not to be right, uh, but he's going to be in Puritan Puritani at Lyric Opera, which starts this weekend, and I already have my tickets for a couple weeks from now. And my good call is something that the CSO is doing this weekend. Uh, Ricardo Muti returns to conduct a really interesting concert featuring uh, the. French mezzo-soprano Clementine uh, Margen singing the Chanson Poème de l'Amour de la Mer, paired with Britain's four C interludes from Peter Grimes, so there's your opera component, and then a world premiere of a low brass concerto by Grammy Award-winning Jennifer Higdon. And the cool thing is that if you use the code SOUNDPOST at the CSO website, you can get $35 tickets in any part of the hall, which includes a two-hour mixer with canapes and a beer or something like that uh, before the performance on Thursday. Good recommendations all around. Hey, that's it for this week's edition of America's Talk radio show about opera. The general manager at WNUR is Nick Anderson. Our announcer is Norm Waddell. Visit Norm on the web at voxershorts.com. V-O-X-E-R-S-H-O-R-T-S.com. Our theme song is Vodka Inferno, written and performed by the Diablo Swing Orchestra. On Facebook, search for Opera Box Score. Be sure to share and comment on our posts. On Twitter, we're at Opera Box Score. And you can always leave a review when you subscribe to the podcast version of our show on iTunes. The creative consultant for Opera Box Score is Oliver Camacho. For Tobias Wright and Matt Cummings, I'm George Cedarquist, asking you to continue the conversation about opera at the happiest place on earth which is where I'll be next week with my family. We're back on Monday, February 5 at 9 p.m. Central when co-host Weston Williams gets the reins almost all to himself for an entire show. Check out what he has in store for you. This is WNUR-FM Evanston, Chicago. Chicago Sound Experiment.